ears to hear what you would have us to hear today. Father, thank you for bringing us together today in your house to worship you. We thank you. We love you. We praise you because you are a great God. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. 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 Be seated. God bless you. How great, how great is our God. Say amen again. Amen. To God be the glory. It is a great day to be in God's house. I always celebrate the privilege and the opportunity uh, to be able to bring God's word to us as a church family. I do want to put word out that we had our men's ministry golf tournament yesterday. PGA scouts were present and they've contacted me. Several of you were very impressive and they are interested in you joining the tour. All right. And um, we had a great time yesterday for those that played. Thank you for coming to all the ones that helped plan and put it together. We appreciate your leadership. Uh, last Sunday, I ended the sermon by asking you to sing one of the Beatles' great songs, All You Need Is Love. And I guess today I could start off with a different song because of the sermon title I've chosen. The sermon title is Looking for Love in Just the Right Places, but I assure you today I'm not starting with a song. Now you can say amen again. Uh, this is a big Sunday for us. We're going to be celebrating our graduating seniors in our second service today, and that's always a great time. Uh, we're going to preach the same sermon in that service that we do here, but I want to connect us with where we were last week because this is somewhat a continuation. Last Sunday, we began a study of the 13th chapter of the book of 1 Corinthians. It's a very famous chapter. But I shared with you last Sunday what I want to repeat again. This chapter is one of the most misquoted, misused chapters in the entire Bible because people often use this as a love poem or a love chapter. And when they do it that way, I'm afraid that they take it out of context. And so we were reminded last Sunday morning that the context of 1 Corinthians 13 is to remember that the Apostle Paul is our author and the Corinthian church of the New Testament was the recipient of this letter. And what Paul was talking about was spiritual gifts. When a person receives Christ as Savior, when they are saved, the Holy Spirit comes up and takes residence in our lives. And the Bible teaches us that it's bestowed unto us spiritual gifts that are to be used in the body of Christ within the church. However, in the New Testament, right, they began to misunderstand that some of these gifts were to be more important than others, and they were bragging and boasting about that. And Paul reminds them that there is a more excellent way, a better thing than spiritual gifts, and that was love. And so this morning, we're going to read 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 7, and you can go ahead and take your Bibles and begin to turn there, the first seven verses. But before we do that... I've kind of rewritten the first part of 1 Corinthians 13 to be in context with our second service today in talking to our graduating seniors. And here's the way I kind of rewrote this um, for their connection. If I walk the halls as a senior, big and loud, pompous and proud and have not love, then I am a zero. If I accomplish a great goal and receive a diploma and have not love, then I have obtained nothing. If I decide on my college and career and have a clear path in life and have not love, then I am lost. If I am fired up and ready to conquer the world and have not love, then I lose. And I, I think that is a reminder for us exactly what we're talking about today. There are many pathways in life, but the most excellent way is a life in Christ and a life of love. Let's stand together as we honor the reading of God's word today. 
1 Corinthians chapter 13, and I'll read the pickup to chapter 13, verse 1. Paul says, and now I will show you the most excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels and have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. It is not rude, it's not self-seeking, it's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Let's pray together. God, as we dive into this passage today, I pray that your spirit would well up in us the desire to pursue the most excellent way, the way of love. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. We learned last Sunday that in the English language we have one word um, to describe love, and that's just simply the verb love. But in the Greek language, we have all of these words. Storge is a friendship type of love. Eros is a romantic kind of love. Phileo is a brotherly love, a family love. And then we have the most mature type of love. This is a godly love, an unconditional love, and it's called agape. And the opposite of agape love is not hate. That's what we might think. But I'm going to submit to us today the opposite of agape love is what's going around these days referred to as self-love. The opposite of agape is self-love, in other words, a selfishness. And you say, wait a minute, pastor, doesn't Jesus say to love your neighbor as yourself? And my answer is, yes, he does. But we are supposed to see ourselves as God sees us, but we're not supposed to be in love with ourselves. You're not supposed to be so enamored with yourself that you then neglect other people. And so this is how I want to approach the topic today. I want to contrast the difference between self-love and agape love. And as we enter into this um, perpetual um, repeated contrast, I want you to ask yourself, how do you measure up to what real love is? Are you choosing the most excellent way. And here's the first point based on verse number four. I say today that self-love is impatient. Self-love is impatient. Paul says this in verse four, love is patient. But self-love is just the opposite. Self-love is impatient. Self-love has a short fuse. Self-love doesn't have the ability to wait on somebody else and cannot stand to be inconvenienced. Now, let's talk about what agape is. Agape is not a noun. It's what? It's a verb. It's not a feeling. It's an action. So here's what it doesn't mean. Agape doesn't mean that we feel patient. It means that we act patiently. It's a word that literally means, and this really got my attention, to strike back, when you, to not strike back when you are inconvenienced. 
One of the early church fathers, Chrysostom, translated this word to mean this. A man who is wronged and who has in his power to avenge himself, but he chooses to never do it. Well, I got to thinking about how we might translate that over into our own vernacular, and I think here's some modern-day language that kind of gets at it. Have you ever heard the phrase, a killer instinct? Somebody who goes for the jugular. We, we use those terms in sports sometimes. Uh, we use those terms in business. Somebody has a killer instinct, but agape love means just the opposite. It means that you choose to not go for the kill. It means you restrain yourself even when you could do otherwise. It means that you show meekness. Love is patient. God is love. God is patient. Now let's think about how that applies to us. Aren't you thankful today? And aren't you glad that God is patient with you? You know, when I think about all the things God could be towards me, the last word I think about is patient. And yet, that's what he is. So I want to ask you again, aren't you thankful and glad that God is patient with you? Aren't you thankful and glad that God does not give up on you? I want to tell you two stories. In the early 1920s, Robert Ingersoll was a popular shock speaker. And I put up a picture of him for you today so that you could see what he looked like. Robert Ingersoll in the 20s was an atheist, and he was famous for standing up in front of crowds and daring God to strike him down. He would point his finger toward the sky, and this was his famous phrase, if there is a God, I curse his name, and if he really exists, I give him five minutes to strike me down dead. Well, the audience in the 20s would gasp, right? Somebody inevitably in that audience would yell, blasphemy! But he was famous for that little five-minute dare to God. Well, Dr. A.J. Gordon was a famous pastor in Boston. He was a contemporary of Ingersoll. And somebody asked him, Sir, what do you think about Robert Ingersoll daring God to strike him down in five minutes? And I love the pastor's answer. He said, Does Ingersoll dare to think that he can exhaust God's patience in only five minutes? I ask again, aren't you thankful that God is patient with you? A story about Abraham Lincoln. All of us know from history that Lincoln faced monumental criticism during his time in office. And one of his greatest critics was a man named Edwin Stanton from Illinois. He he ran against Lincoln in several elections. He publicly called Lincoln, and I quote, a silly-looking clown. And his famous saying was this, you don't have to go to Africa to see a gorilla. You have one right there in Springfield, Illinois. You'll find him in Abraham Lincoln. But Lincoln, even though this man was saying all these things, he never struck back. He never said one single word unkind as far as anybody knows. And later when he was elected president, he was looking for a person to serve as the secretary of war. Guess who he chose? He chose that same man, Edwin Stanton. And people asked him, Mr. President, why did you choose him when you had so many other options? And he said, I chose him because I believe he's the best man for the job. Well, Lincoln was exhibiting exactly what this word means. 
He did not strike back. He was long-suffering. He was patient. And the interesting ending to that story is later, after Lincoln was assassinated, Stanton filed by his casket to look at his body, and he was heard to say out loud, there lies a great man because of his patience toward people. Folks, if we really want to get into this passage and see what Paul is telling us and how he's teaching us, we'll learn that self-love is impatient, but love acts patiently. Let's move to the second contrast. The second thing Paul teaches us is that self-love is mean. Love is kind, but self-love is mean. Now, some people, and I'm sure you've run across these type folks, they have just very little love in their hearts. It reminds me about a man who went to the doctor. The doctor said this, sir, I need to tell you that you have rabies. And the man immediately took out a piece of paper and began to write down all of these things. He said, sir, what are you doing? He said, I'm writing down a list of all my enemies because I'm going out to bite them today. Right? Now, that's mean. And some people are like that. And that's what Paul is talking about. But he's reversing it to the other side. Love is patient. Love is also kind. I want to ask you today, are you a kind person? When people walk away from you, do they say, she's kind or he's so kind? And let me ask this, what is kindness? Someone once said kindness is simply love with work clothes on. Kindness is love when it goes to work. Let me kind of get into some of the language today. Have you noticed that there are these movements out there where people go around doing, and they call it this, random acts of kindness? Have you heard that term? I think the church ought to be known for acts of kindness, but but here's my correction. Not random acts of kindness, but consistent acts of kindness. And I want to ask you to do that even this week. Can I give you some homework? Will you write this down for yourself? You say, oh, pastor, I'll remember. I'll do it. Well, if you can't remember, write it down, okay? Here it is. I want you to go out, and I want you to do an act of kindness to somebody this week. Just one? Well, hopefully just one, okay? But you certainly can do more. I want you to do it for a stranger. I want you to do something that nobody expects. Do an act of kindness, and then here's the bigger challenge. I also want you to do one for your family. Do it for a stranger and do it for your family. And I emphasize that because if you're not kind to the people in your family, then any kindness you show to someone outside of your family, it's kind of hypocritical. In other words, be kind at home. Somebody say amen. Be kind at home. Self-love is mean. Agape love is kind. Love is patient. Love is kind. What else? Love does not envy. And so when we get to this one, let's contrast it again. Agape doesn't envy, but self-love is envious of success. And what I'm talking about is being envious of the success of other people. You see, agape is kind when other people and glad when other people succeed. I think it was Shakespeare, I believe I'm right in this, who first called envy the green sickness. And we still use that language today because we say this, somebody is what? Green with envy. Now, you may think this is kind of innocuous, but you know what? Envy and jealousy, it can be dangerous. 
So let's be serious about this topic for just a moment. There are many examples in the Bible of the dangers of being envious or jealous. What about Cain? Cain made a sacrifice before the Lord, but so did Abel. And God accepted Abel's sacrifice. Cain was so eaten up with jealousy that he did what? He killed his brother. It's a wonderful example of the danger of jealousy. What about Joseph? Joseph's father in the Old Testament loved him so much that he gave Joseph a coat of many colors. It made his brothers insanely jealous. There were other reasons, right? But they ended up tying him up, and they threw him in a pit. They sold him off as a slave. He ended up in Egypt, and all because of what? Jealousy. You see, envy and jealousy can be dangerous. Now, let's be very personal now. And I know I'm going to go from preaching to meddling here for just a bit, but I just want to ask you something. Is there anyone you know who, if they succeed or receive some kind of honor, it bugs you just a little bit? It may be that sibling rivalry thing that's still going. It may be a coworker who you don't think deserves that, right? Well, I could do a better job than they could, or I have done a better job than they have. And jealousy is rampant, isn't it? It's everywhere. It happens in pastoral circles. I see it and feel it all the time. These ideas of, well, you have a bigger church than I have. I could do a better job than you, and it's just ridiculous. But let me say this. Love doesn't allow jealousy. It doesn't. Not to wait, not to what Paul teaches. You can't be jealous and claim to love your brother or sister. Self-love is envious, but agape love does not envy at all. So now the fourth one. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. Agape love does not boast. So let's Turn it over, self-love brags. Self-love brags. The word, therefore, it doesn't boast is a word that literally means to talk big. And we use that language now, don't we? Talking big is when you say, I'm th- I think I'm as good as you are. In fact, I think I'm better than you are, right? Self-love is always promoting, pushing self to the forefront. Look at what I've done. Look at who I am. Look how big I am. But on the other hand, agape is humble. It doesn't brag. It doesn't boast. Have you ever noticed how some people like to talk about themselves? Their conversation is I and me and my and mine. And and that's really all that comes out of their mouths. And and it reminds me about this bird somebody told me about down in South America called the Mimi bird. The Mimi bird. Why do they call it that? Because it only has one song. Mimi. 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 Now, I've never seen any one of those with feathers, but I've seen plenty of those type folks here in Texas. (laughs) Mimi. Mimi. And that's not referring to anybody called Mimi. I've said this before, that's why I'm not on Facebook. I'm not trying to hurt anybody, but it drives me bananas. Look at what I ate, Mimi. 
Look at where I went today. Mimi, Mimi. Oh, look at the prizes that all my family got. Mimi, Mimi. Look at my new car. Mimi, Mimi. I just don't want to be a part of that. I think John the Baptist gives us our best corrective. And I appreciate John the Baptist so much. We don't know what he looks like, but I gave you a picture just so we could imagine. Uh, John the Baptist, the number one itinerant preacher in Israel, was preaching out in the desert. We know the story. Everybody's coming to hear him. Everybody's saying, John, John, he's the Messiah. He's the next guy. Let's all follow John. But he kept saying, no, 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 no. I'm not the Messiah. One is coming after me, and I'm not even worthy to wear his sandals. I'm just baptizing you with water, but he's going to come. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In other words, mine is just a physical but his is the true immersion into the life of God. And then even later, they nag John. You remember John chapter 3? They say this to him, and, they, and the Bible quotes it, John, some of your disciples are leaving, and now they're following Jesus. What do you have to say about that? And in John 3.30, he said in love this, and it's the most famous phrase that he ever used. He said, he must increase, and I must decrease. Do you know what? Only agape love says that. Only love says that. That you must increase, and I must decrease. Self-love says, I must increase. I don't care who decreases as long as I keep on increasing. Church today, let's choose the best way. Don't boast. Don't talk big. Don't brag. Somebody say amen. I close with this story. George Whitfield was one of the great preachers from England. And he came over to the United States. And by the way, that's him on the right. And he preached in one of the very, in the first great awakening in America. He was a contemporary of John Wesley, and that's who you see on the left. And, of course, you know that John Wesley was the founder of the Methodist Church. But even though Whitfield and Wesley were probably the two most famous preachers in the world at that time, they, they disagreed over a very important doctrine. Whitfield was a strong Calvinist. That simply means that he believed that God predetermined who would be saved and who would be lost, and they didn't have a choice in the matter. Now, John Wesley, on the other hand, he was an Arminianist. He believed in free choice and free will, and I'll tell you today, that's where I stand. I believe we have the ability to choose or reject being saved by Almighty God. But these two guys often debated this. And they were known to be in great disagreement. And one time George Whitfield was interviewed by a London newspaper. And this reporter was trying to egg him on, right, to get him to say something unkind about John Wesley so so he would have a good headline and, and good scoop. Guess what? They were doing it back then just as much as they're still doing it today. So they asked, so that man asked George Whitfield that day, Mr. Whitfield, do you think you will even see John Wesley in heaven And Whitfield said this, No, I will not see John Wesley in heaven. Well, the reporter started to write it down. Oh, my goodness. I've got a hot story here. Controversy and scandal between the two greatest preachers in the world, right? And then Whitfield finished the sentence. 
He said, no, I don't think I will see John Wesley in heaven because John Wesley will be so close to the throne of God and I will be so far away from the throne of God that I will not even be able to see him. Now, folks, that's a statement of humility. And I tell it to you today because real love doesn't brag. Real love is humble. So we have a choice, don't we? I think when it all comes down to it, we're reminded that we have a choice, that we can choose the way that we choose to go. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast or brag. So today the call for us from God is be patient, be kind, don't envy, don't brag. But choose the best way. Be loving as God is loving. Let's bow our heads together. Heavenly Father, my prayer today is that you would allow this simple message but a very convicting message, Lord, to lay on my heart and our hearts. God, forgive us for misquoting and misusing 1 Corinthians 13 to be some romantic love poem. God, today, help us to realize that in these words, you were showing us and telling us the most excellent way to live. God, I pray that we're so convicted by this message that there's nothing boastful that comes out of our mouths again. That we not allow any envy or jealousy to be, to rise up in us. That when we leave somebody, they would say, you know what? He or she is, is so kind. He or she is so patient. God, I know when we do that, we're going to be honoring you and walking with you and obeying you and truly just being like you. What I love most about this message, God, is now we have a chance to just go live this out. Four simple reminders of the best way to choose. God, help us to leave this place literally right now and live this out. This is my prayer In the name of Jesus, amen. Let's stand together. I'm always touched, and I just told you I believe in free choice. I think you have a choice. You can choose the most excellent way, or you can reject it. And I always come back to the heart of this whole matter. You cannot live this out. You can't live this out unless you choose Christ. You ask Jesus to live in you, through you. You live for him. If there's anyone here who has yet to receive Christ as Savior, would you make that choice today? Would you say, I want to be a Christian? I want to follow this path of godly love in my life. It is so worth it. It's so good. 
If you haven't made that choice, come today from the balcony, from downstairs and say, I want to choose the Lord today. I want to be saved. If you're already saved, then let's all of us make decisions. And I'm totally aware you can do that privately, but I'm going to ask that some of us step out today and say, you know what? I want it to be public, not to make a show, but to just be an encouragement to my church family that I'm, I'm all in, that I'm living this out, and I need the prayers of my church family to make this happen. If you're here and you're not a member of our church, we invite you to come and join this beautiful family. Almost any given Sunday, somebody joins the service in one of these two worship opportunities. Would that be you today to come and say, hey, I want to be a part of First Baptist. Uh, Maybe you just want to grab somebody by the hand and come down to this altar and say, hey, we need to go down and pray this together. That'd be a wonderful thing. I'm going to be here at the front as always to receive you. I'll be honored to pray with whomever comes. You come as God leads. I'm forgiven because you were forsaken. I'm accepted, you were condemned. I'm alive and well, your spirit is within me because you died and rose again. I'm forgiven because you were forsaken. I'm accepted, you were condemned. I'm alive and well, your spirit is within me because you died and you rose again. Amazing love, how can it be that you, my King, would die for me? Amazing love, I know it's true. It's my joy to honor you. love, how can it be that you, my King, would die for me? Amazing love, I know it's true. It's my joy to honor you in all I do. I honor you in all I do. I honor you. Could not have been a better song to sing. Amazing agape love. God gives it to us, and now we get to give it to others. What a powerful thing. God bless you. You may be seated. I love you, church, and I thank you so much uh, for your attentiveness today. Let's look at our screens for this week's announcements. Hi, church family. This is Jeff, and I'm here with your announcements for the week. First of all, we want to say congratulations to our seniors. 
Uh, we know that you've been working very hard for many years, and we're very, very proud of you. And we wish you the best as you head off into your new uh, ventures, either in college or jobs or wherever else you go. Just let it want you to know that we love you and we care about you and we'll be praying for you. Also, tonight is church conference, so uh, it'll be at 6, 6 p.m. here in the sanctuary. We're also gearing up for VBS. You've probably seen that right out on the landing. But uh, if you want to sign up your kid or if you want to help us, uh, Kathy or somebody else will be outside. You can let them know about that. Also, we have a youth camp coming up. Our other camps are coming up. Uh, so want to let you know about that, CTM, if you have a youth or a teenager who wants to go to camp. And then also, this is our last Wednesday night. We appreciate all the workers in ESL and Cultivate and Youth Edge uh, who have been helping us this year. Uh, so we've had a great year, and we appreciate all that you've done to help us. Have a great week. All right, very good. It is an exciting day as we honor graduates in the second service. We also have um, the deacon luncheon that will be followed the second service. So we look forward to all of those things today. Let's stand together for our closing song. I pray that you'll make your way to Bible study. It's always a good choice. It'll be a blessing for you to dive into God's word. If you're our guest, thanks again for being with us. How great is our God. Sing with me how great. God bless you. Have a great day. I need my crook.